Uh, we're in a series called Godly Vision. Godly Vision. And the goal of the series is for you to start seeing the vision that God has for your life through His eyes. And the vision that God has for your life is not based on the world, it's based on the Word. So when you get incredibly upset over who the president is, you're not looking at it through God's eyes. When you get incredibly upset at what the doctor's report says, you're not looking at it through God's eyes. When you get incredibly upset at the news or the stock market or how your boss is treating you, you're not looking at your life through God's eyes, you're looking at it through the world's eyes. So the goal is for us to see everything through the eyes of God. If you understand that, say, oh yeah. Okay, so last week's sermon, the title was a Hebrew word. Does anybody in here remember for $100 what the Hebrew word is? What was the Hebrew word though? A God. Who said it first? I didn't see. Okay, so um, Randy will take care of you after service. Okay, so it was a God, and it means to see it, imagine it, and declare it, okay? Now, by happenstance, and I do not plan this, this is all God, but today's sermon is also a Hebrew word. Isn't that so? Don't you love it when your pastor uses Hebrew and Greek words? It makes them look so smart, doesn't it? So the title of part two today is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, S-H-A-D-D-A-I, El Shaddai. And before I tell you what it means, I want you to hear this. In the Old Testament, when God would appear to people, they named God based on what he did. They did not call him God like we do, okay? So if God saved them, they'd say, oh, he's my Savior, and his name in Hebrew would be my Savior. If he healed them or healed one of their children, they'd say, oh, this is the God, my healer, and they'd call him my healer based on what God did. So when God appears to Abraham to start this covenant and God's finally going to get a family on planet earth, not just one person here and, you know, Noah over here and Adam and Eve over here. He wants a family. He wants a nation. He wants the whole world to be covered with his children. So he chooses Abraham, but he's got to talk Abraham into having this covenant and serving him and being a friend with him because Abraham's going to be the grandfather of Israel. So how do you think God appeared to him? Did God appear to him as a, as a hundred foot angel with huge muscles and he was going to be called the warrior uh, did God appear to him as somebody that was going to carry him everywhere a God of compassion did God appear to him as the God of peace and every night you'll sleep so soundly and you'll never stress and never worry how would God appear to the man who he's trying to talk into becoming the grandfather of Israel he appeared to him in Genesis 17 1 as El Shaddai the God of for your notes more than enough I don't just have a peace for you. I have more than enough peace for you. I don't just have some joy for you. I have more than enough joy for you. You need money. Listen, I own the cattle on a thousand hill. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. My dirt is gold up in heaven. I have more than enough. Whatever you need, I have more than what you need enough for you and everybody around you for you to bless. And he went on to say, if you serve me faithfully, I will not add I will multiply you exceedingly. Here's my point for today. God's vision for your life is bigger than your vision for your life. God's plan for your life is better than what you can imagine right now. The reason we need to keep coming to church, the reason we get in our word is so our faith expands and we don't just see God as Savior. We don't just see God as healer. We don't just see God as mighty and powerful and a strong tower. We see God as more than enough. And I doubt even half of you in this room have ever actually met El Shaddai. 
You might have met the Lord, my peace, the Lord, my protector, the Lord, my friend, the Lord, my provider. But he's more than anything and everything you will ever need. Some of you have been thinking, God, in my marriage, I just want us to just not fight anymore. And God's saying, forget that. I want you to have the greatest marriage in the world that is a testimony to other people. And you help everybody in your family line who's battled. God, if you could just... Get my son into church. God's saying, I want to turn your son into a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. You're praying small prayers. God just doesn't do barely enough. He doesn't just do good enough. He does more than enough. God, I hope that I could get a $1 raise this year with COVID. God wants you to own your own business. He's got more than you can even ask or think. So I have three points for you today, and they all start with the letter A because Triple A is much better than AA. Anyway, and so um, three points. Number one, for your, I don't know why I said. So uh, number one is this. Acknowledge God as more than enough. You have to get it in your mindset today before you leave this church that the God who you serve, the God who loves you unconditionally, has and is and will always be more than enough. In other words, he is your source for more. A lot of times we look to a relationship to fill us with this confidence and to have our heart fulfilled. But no, no, that might be a resource, but the source is God. Or we look to having more money to feel accomplished or to feel powerful. That might be a resource that the source decides to use, but the source is God. If you look to the world or to worldly things or to people to fill that void where you think you're going to be finally happy and finally fulfilled, you're looking in the wrong direction. God is the source of more than enough. Um, it says in Psalms 23, you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it says he leads me twice. He leads me to still waters. He leads me to paths of righteousness. Where he leads, when God is the one leading you, not your emotions, not your fleshly desires, when God leads you, here's where you end up in verse 5, your cup runs over. The Amplified says, you fill my cup until it overflows. We should be so blessed in our marriage that we can help other marriages. We should be so blessed in our finances that we can build the kingdom of God and help others. We should be so blessed and so encouraged on a regular basis through the word and our relationship with God that when we get around other people, we're encouraging them, not waiting for them to encourage us. We should have so much joy we make other people laugh. We should have so much peace when we walk in a room, strife will cease because we are overflowing in our relationship with El Shaddai. This is his vision for your life. Um, years ago, Arnold Palmer, you know, before, before he passed away, of course, but years ago he was playing in a tournament, a golf tournament in Saudi Arabia. And the king of Saudi Arabia personally invited him to this golf tournament. The king sent one of his, one of his mini jets here to the States to pick up Arnold Palmer, bring him on his private jet over to Saudi Arabia. They played golf for several days. They had so much fun hanging out. There were other celebrities and people there. When it was all said and done, the king was going to put Arnold Palmer back on his private jet to send him to the States. And he said, listen, I've had so much fun with you this week. I'd like to get you a gift for our time that we had together. And Arnold Palmer said, no, no, no. You've been such a gracious host. You've done more than enough. Everything was awesome. You took such good care of me. I don't need you to give me anything. But the king was so persistent. He said, I want you to always remember the time that we had together and the time you spent in my beautiful country and with me, I got to get you something. 
And Arnold Palmer said, okay, I collect golf clubs. So if you want to get me a golf club, that would be fine. So the king was smiling. He was happy. Put him on the plane and he went off. When Arnold Palmer was in the air flying back to America, he started kind of dreaming, envisioning. He thought, what kind of golf club is the king going to get me? Will it be solid gold and have my name engraved on it somewhere? Will it be a golf club that's just got diamonds all over it, you know, worth forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000? I mean, this guy's a king. You know, what's the golf club going to look like? He gets back home to the States, and every day he checks the mail, just waiting for this golf club to come in. Months go by. He gets nothing. Finally, he receives a certified letter from the king of Saudi Arabia. He thinks, that's funny. Where's my golf club at? He opens up the letter, and much to his surprise, inside the letter is a deed to a 500-acre golf club here in the United States worth millions and millions of dollars. He was looking for a golf club, and he got a golf club. Why did that happen? Because kings think differently than the rest of us do. And the Bible says that our Heavenly Father in 1 Timothy 6.15 is the only sovereign ruler. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. And His dream for your life is bigger than what you can imagine right now. That's why we stick with people of faith. That's why we're in the Word so that our vision can start to see things the way God does. Um, when the children of Israel were in slavery for 430 years, they were in Egypt. In Egypt, you might say, was the land of not enough. It says in Exodus 5.15, the slave drivers beat the Israelites because they did not have enough straw to make. Yeah, they didn't even have enough straw. Do you know how poor you are when you don't have enough straw and, 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 and the God of the universe is your God and you don't have enough? You can't pay your bills. The light's always getting turned off. You're always having to go from one apartment to the next because you can't make the rent. You can't ever buy anybody a Christmas present. You're wearing the same clothes since 1985. You're just not blessed at all. You're always fighting in your marriage. You're getting more unhealthy as the years go by. You're getting angry. Your flesh keeps getting worse and worse. It's not enough. No matter how what. And you know what? They work seven days a week. They didn't take a Sabbath. They worked seven days a week. They worked harder and harder and harder and were never able to have enough, no matter how much they did. But God in his great mercy delivered them into the wilderness. When they got to the wilderness, it says in Exodus 16, 18, every man gathered manna with no excess, but no lack. The wilderness was just enough. They had just what they needed to get by. There was no excess, but there was no lack. They couldn't give anybody else food. They couldn't go encourage anybody else. They came to church. They kind of did their duty, but there was no growth in their life. They were the same person year after year after year, but they weren't starving. But they still couldn't go out to eat, couldn't buy a nice outfit, couldn't give any peace to anybody else. They were just barely they, in their marriage. They weren't killing each other, but there was no passion in their marriage. Their kids were making D's and C's all the time. There were no A's and B's. They never had any time to really grow as a family because they were working so much and stressed out. They weren't sick. They didn't have cancer. They weren't dying, but they weren't incredibly healthy. It was just enough. 
So finally, after many years in the wilderness, here was God's dream for their life the entire time. Numbers 13, 27, to get them to the promised land, which flows. Everybody say flows with milk, honey, grapes. And it just kept on coming. This was the land of more than enough. This was God's dream for their life the entire time. He does not want you to live in the land of barely enough. You're living in sin. You never want to grow. Never ask God to change you. You always got a bad attitude. You're always making minimum wage no matter how hard you work. He doesn't even want you to stay in the land of good enough. It's okay to be there for a time, but he's trying to grow you and prosper you till you get to the place where you understand you are so blessed, it pours into the lives of people around you. That's the promised land. That is the land of more than enough. Why did they stay in the wilderness for so long? It says in Deuteronomy 8.2, The Lord led you in the wilderness to test you to know what was in your heart. It was a heart test. Are they going to put God first? Is El Shaddai their God or are they serving El Chipo? The God of, some of y'all are married to El Chipo, so you know what that's like. The God of barely enough, always pinching pennies, can't do anything for anybody else. No, we serve El Shaddai. And it's so funny, I had to put this in there because it says in the Bible that while they were in the wilderness, their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. Imagine wearing the same outfit every day for 40 years. Some of y'all can't even wear the same outfit twice in a month because it bothers you. 40 years the same outfit never got any holes in it never had any tears or cuts god supernaturally provided their needs but it wasn't more than enough in the wilderness um in first Kings 17 this widow woman her husband had already passed away and she's raising a son by herself she's a single mom and uh there's a there's a famine in the land we call it covid you know they call it a famine people are dying people losing jobs not enough money and all the kind of bad things are happening and so all she had left was some flour and oil, and her goal was to bake her and her son one final meal, and then they were just going to go ahead and die. They were going to start the starvation process. Well, Elijah was coming through their town. The prophet of God represents the power of God, the person of God. He came through, and in verse 13, he said, don't be afraid. The Lord said to make me a small loaf of bread first. And then after that, you can take what's left over for you and your son. I'm sure in her mind she thought, who the heck do you think you are telling me to put God first? Do you see we don't have enough? It's so funny. For those of you in here that are in that barely enough, don't have enough place. If what you're doing isn't working and hasn't been working for the past 20 years, why don't you try what the Word of God says just once to see what... If you're going to die anyway, you might as well do it and see what happens, you know? Or throw a last lifeline kind of thing. She's obedient. Here was Elijah's goal. I need to introduce you to somebody. His name is El Shaddai. You might know God as Savior. You might know him as healer. But listen, El Shaddai will always give you more than enough. So she's obedient. She makes Elijah's first. And then she takes care of her, her and her son. And now she thinks, well, now we're going to die. The next day she goes back in her kitchen and do you know there's still oil left in the jar? There's still flour in the pot. She thinks that's so weird. I thought I used all that yesterday. The next day she goes back and there's more. The next day she goes back and there's more. Verse 16 says, according to the word of the Lord, not according to the news, not according to Fox, 
Not according to whatever the other ones are, CNN, BC, PMS, whatever they're called. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's according to the word of the Lord. She never ran out. That's because El Shaddai stepped in. Because when you put God first, you'll always have more than enough. Always. You might as well. Now, this, this passage, let me tell you some things it represents. Put God first. Sunday morning, the first day of the week. Put God first on Sunday and the rest of your week will go better. Financially, put God first. It's the tithe and the rest of your finances will be more than enough. Uh, relationally, put God first in your relationships and he'll always give you more than enough. Don't settle for less than more than enough. You serve El Shaddai. Point number two is this. You have to ask God for more than enough. You have to ask. Asking shows where your faith is. Asking shows that you really do believe God is God of more than enough. It says in Ephesians 3.20, God can. It doesn't say will. It says he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. Here's why it says can and not will. Because it's according to the power which is in us. It's according to your faith. That's why you got to get in a place that fills you with faith every week where you hear the words so you can start believing. God, can you really do all this? Can you really provide for me in the desert? God, can you really open up? Can you really bring me Mr. Right or Miss Right? Can you really heal my body? Can you really do this? If you ask, he can do more than you can ask. But if you're not asking, he's not doing. You got to ask. I don't know about y'all. It's hard for me sometimes to ask for big things for myself. I'm really good at asking big things for all of y'all. I got y'all's name on my computer. You know, all the members we have on a list. I got it, and I'm believing God for to do this in your life and this in your life. But when it gets to me, I'm like, oh, God, you know, whatever you want to do. I love you however you want to bless me. I remember, um, in, uh, you know, um, let's say you're going to the mall to buy an outfit, you know, and I have $100 I'm going to spend. I get in there and I think, you know what? My kids, they need an outfit more than me. And, and you're always doing for others, right? So 2006, I remember I was um, at my laptop studying one day, and I, I, I write a lot. I, I write a lot. I have diaries for my kids. I have a whole folder of 100 pages of things I could, you know, I've learned in life. I mean, just write I have a thankful folder where every time God does something, I put it in there and I add to it every month. And in 2006, I was looking through my thankful folder and I heard God say, uh, make a request folder. Like, write down what you want. I thought, okay, that sounds great. I want this person to get saved. I want this person to get healed. I want, and I had this list. And God said, okay, okay, write down what you want. And I said, oh, okay, I, I want a thousand seat auditorium paid off. I want, I want, you know, a house that's paid off. I want a, a car that's paid off. And God said, okay, that's great. But write down something that you want that only blesses you. Doesn't take, not your family, not your friends, not the kingdom. Something that's just for you and nobody else. And I thought, God, that doesn't feel right. I'm good at asking for things for that to help everybody. And, you know, God said, what's something on your heart? So very slowly and very cautiously, I typed out the word R O. L-E-X. 
When I was a kid, I had an uncle who was a heart doctor, and he would bring my, uh, my, my cousins down. And when they came to visit us, man, he paid for it. We went to like the go-kart tracks. We went to the water parks. We went to every restaurant. And every time he'd pull out his wallet and pay for all of us and our family, I'd see this watch on his hand, and it was a Rolex. And I always thought, I've always wanted a Rolex watch. Now, I wrote that in 2006. Two months later, I became a pastor and thought, well, delete that out of there because that'll never happen, you know? <laughs> I was going to be a great musician, but now I don't think this is going to happen. So fast forward, in 2017, uh, Mike and I got married the last day of 2017. That year, from January to December, she worked at a car dealership selling cars, first time in her life. In that one year, she made more money than I've ever made in any year of my life. She made $85,000 in one year. Go Micah, tell me about that, right? She worked like 60, 80 hours a week, but she made a lot of money. Now, with $85,000, what is the tithe? Which would be how much? $8,500, 10%. For some of y'all that did not go to Socasty. So 10%, so 10%, so that was her tithe, $8,500. Her bills that year, every month, were less than $1,000. Her and her friend had a, a, a studio apartment they rented that was super cheap. Her car payment, her insurance, and her food, her gas, and her cell phone and rent was all under 1000 bucks. Let me say it this way. She had $50,000 to do whatever she wanted to that year. After honoring God, after then after that, paying her bills. So for our wedding and engagement and marriage and that kind of thing, she decided she was going to surprise me because she knows I've always wanted a Rolex with a Rolex. And I was shocked. I opened that thing and I'm, what do you think the first words out of my mouth were? I said, where did you get this? And we got to take it back right now. She said, no, 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 I got this for you. This is my gift for you. I worked hard. I want you to have this. I said, no, 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 no. I don't deserve this. Where did you get it? We're taking it back. Honey, this is, I've been wanting to do this for you for so long. It's my money. I can do what I want to with it. I want to give it to you. I said, okay, okay, that's great. Three days later, I take it back. Now, I know, I know, you're already looking at my wrist. I can see right now I'm wearing my $30 shark watch because it works just as good as a Rolex I found out. Tells the same time. Anyway, and so three days later, I take it back. And if you thought I felt horrible when I opened it and said, why did you do this? We got to take it back. I felt 10 times more horrible taking it back. So two weeks later, I go back and get a Rolex after taking back the one she got me. And long story short, yes, I finally have a Rolex after writing it down in 2006. But here's the point. <laughs> Sometimes God loves us so much. He just wants to do things for us because we are his children and he can. And so many times we see things and hear things and it's like, oh, that's just out of my thinking. That's because you're not thinking about El Shaddai. You're thinking about what you deserve, what you've been through. You're comparing yourself to other people. All of our destinies are very unique. And yours might not be to have a Rolex. Yours may be to have a car that's paid off. Or yours may be to have a spouse that serves God or whatever your dream is. The point is God will always find a way to bring it to pass. Always. The prodigal son, and I don't even roll, wear the Rolex because I just sit it there and look at it sometimes and just, you know. But the prodigal son, he went and wasted money and spent it with the wrong people. And he finally repented and he finally said, God, I just want to serve. And he comes back and the father says in Luke 15, 22, go and bring my best robe. Go and get my Rolex. I mean, my, the family ring. Go and kill the fatted calf. I want you to see the way our father thinks. He is a fatted calf mentality. 
He didn't say, hey, go and get that robe I got from Goodwill. You know, the one with the holes in the back of it. Go put that on my son. And that sick chicken that's been running around in circles, go kill that sick chicken. He's got a fatted calf mentality. But the older son said in verse 29, here's the kind of mentality some of you have. I've been working hard and I've been doing this and this and they got blessed and I didn't. You've never even given me a skinny goat. I can't believe this, God. How come they're getting that and they're getting, and I'm, I'm just a skinny goat. This is skinny goat faith. When you limit God, when you limit God in any way, it's skinny goat faith. Some of you need to break up with that skinny goat, block that skinny goat on Facebook, get rid of the phone number, and say, I found somebody else. I am now dating a fatted calf. I believe big things are in store for me. In verse 31, the father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In other words, whatever it takes for your destiny to be fulfilled and more, I have that for you. Now, here's the point. This is a, a parable on salvation. But here's the point. Both sons did not realize what was available to them through the father. The younger son, he left home and he missed out on what God had. The older son, he left home in his heart and missed out on what God had. In other words, the younger son, he thought, you know what? I'm going to go to Egypt because that's where my desires will be fulfilled and I'll have whatever I want. It's all about me, me, me. And he learned, man, Egypt ain't the place to go. You'll die in Egypt. The older son came to church. He stayed home on the outside, but his heart didn't pass the test. His heart was filled with jealousy, envy, offense, bitterness, anger toward the father and toward his brother. See, the father said this, you're always with me. That's the presence of God. And we all get that right now. But if you're in the wilderness, that's all you're going to get. He said, everything I have is yours. That's the provision of God. That's when you make it into your promised land. Both brothers could have had the provision of God along with the presence of God, but their hearts were not right. Um, I think about <clears throat> Philip here who from 1983, and if those of you that are watching or listening on CD, earlier Philip joined our church, 1983, he's been on drugs, had drugs in his system every year since 1983. And just in this past year, one year, he's been going to Bible college, he's going to start nursing school next month, and right now he's doing this while living in a homeless shelter, still faithful in church, still serving God, and still believing for more. If God can do that for him, Imagine what God can do for you. When we stop asking, we end up settling. And I'll tell you this. If you settle in Egypt, listen real close, you'll die in Egypt. If you're always comparing yours to somebody else, always jealous of what somebody else has, if, you, if you're filled with offense, strife, whatever, if, if you're not allowing God to change you and grow you and believe what, for what he wants to do for your life, I'm telling you, you'll die in Egypt. And here's the last point is this. You have to act like God is more than enough. Walk like it. Talk like it. Prepare. Give like God is more than enough. Pray like God is more than enough. Worship like God is more than enough. Sometimes I look out and I think, oh, do they realize how amazing God is? Why aren't they lifting their hands? Why aren't they singing? Don't they realize this is our time to worship the God of more than enough? You have to act like it. Isaiah 54, 2. And I'm going to read out the message, which is a very dynamic version. But uh, funny enough, this is very actually close to the Hebrew translation for the first time ever that I've ever seen with the message. But it says this, clear lots of ground for your tents. 
spread out, think big, lengthen your ropes and strengthen your stakes. You're going to need lots of room for your growing family. And don't be afraid. And some of y'all, since I started preaching, you've already had the thought. If I ask for this or believe for this and it doesn't happen, I'm going to be so embarrassed. I'm going to feel like, oh, God, I can't believe it. What's wrong? What did I do wrong? Watch this. You're not going to be embarrassed. So don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. Um, years ago, when I was in my early 20s, I was playing the piano at the different churches all over uh, Myrtle Beach. And this one church, um, I, I developed a, some, a, a good friendship with some people on the worship team because I was their music leader. And one of the guys was maybe 20 years old or so. And um, I could tell he had some feminine tendencies. Um, and the Bible is very clear. It says in New Testament and Old Testament, a man should not act like a woman. A woman should not act like a man. A man should not dress like a woman. A woman should not dress like a man. Um, it says 12 places in the New Testament that um, homos- if, you, if you're living in a homosexual lifestyle or effeminate, the Bible uses. Or if you're living in a heterosexual lifestyle and you don't want God to change you. It, if you don't want God to change you, then it literally says you're not saved and you're going to hell. 12 times now. That's the Bible. You can read it for yourself. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But I just want you to know that's what the Bible says. And so that's the way you know you're saved or not, is if you actually want God to make you more like him or not. I'm not saying you're perfect. We all make mistakes. We all do horrible things. But the salvation inside of us says, I want God to change me. And so my friend that I was very close to, um, who I could tell had some feminine qualities, one day um, after a young adult group, uh, he and I and another person, we went out to eat, and he shared with me. That he battled homosexuality. And so um, we prayed with him and we, you know, we encouraged him. And he was, a, he was so anointed, a singer, worship leader. And he shared that um, he believes with him it started when he was young. When his, he talked about a relative that abused him for six years straight every single weekend. For six years straight of his childhood. And his father died at an early age. He had no male presence in his life. And, and so it was a horrible battle for him. He believes that's when the desires and feelings started. And he knew what the Bible said about it, which is why he confessed it to us and we talked about it. We prayed with him. And so we, we stayed close and friends and we had Bible study together and we had worship practice and music. And this went on for two years. Over the two years, maybe once every six months, he would tell us, I messed up, I failed, I made, you know, made a mistake. And we said, oh, confess it to Jesus. We love you. It's good. We'll keep praying for you. The pastor of that church ended up moving to another church and the church closed down and I stopped working there. And so I didn't really have that friend in my life anymore because I got married, had kids, you know, life changes. And I kept up with him some on Facebook once Facebook started, you know, a few years ago. And I could see that he stopped going to church and he gave completely into that lifestyle and he married a man. Uh, a few weeks ago, a friend of ours from that church uh, passed away. And so he called me up. My friend did and he said, um, hey, you know, did you hear brother so-and-so passed away? I said, I did, I did. And we started talking. I said, I hadn't talked to you in so long. I said, how are you doing? He said, I, you know, I'm doing, I'm okay, I'm okay. I said, you okay? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. In that minute, and I was at dinner with the family, so I was running out, talking on my phone. In that minute, I thought, oh, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He called me. What can I say? God, give me the words, give me the words, give me the words. And I thought, Here's what Jesus would not do. There's two things Jesus, Jesus would not say. What's wrong with you? You're so evil. You're going to hell. I can't believe you do this. Lilith, what, you know better. Jesus would not do that. And do you know what else Jesus would not do? Jesus would never say, oh, whatever makes you happy. As long as you're happy, just do what feels right. The greatest words out of Satan's mouth are, do what feels good and do what makes you happy. Don't do that. 
It feels good to cuss people out sometimes. Don't tell me to feel good sometimes. It doesn't feel good to bite my tongue. It would make me happy to work 80 hours a week, but it's not healthy. So don't tell me to do what makes me happy. I want to do what God wants to do, whether it makes me happy or not. And I want to do what God wants to do, whether it feels good or not. So I said to my friends, hey, I want you to come to my church. He said, you do? I said, yes, I want you in my church so bad. I said, there'd there, there, there be a place for you on the music team. I said, we, we, I said, we, we'll be there. I said, please come to my church. I said, but here's the thing. When you come to my church, you're going to hear the word. I said, I'm going to get you in a group. I'm going to get my elders to pray for you, prayer partners to call you each week. I'll text you every day. I said, if you will come to my church and let God work on you and change you, I'll walk with you every step of the way. I'll be right by your side. I'll do whatever it takes. When you're down, I'll call you. When you're in need, you call me, whatever it is. But you got to let God work on you. I said, God will change you. His word will change you. I won't change you. The word will change you. But you got to step out in faith and act like God can do. God can change your desires. Did you know that? That God can literally change the way you feel about things? God can change some battles. And see, we look at other people, we think, oh, that'd be a horrible battle. Listen, we all got battles. Everybody in this room has a cross to carry. But Jesus will give you the grace to carry your cross. And in the saddest, most discouraging voice, he said this. Yeah, I know. And then hung up the phone. And I thought, if you stay in Egypt, you'll die in Egypt. And people that die in Egypt, they usually end up in hell. I'm saying, listen, you don't have to be perfect. You could, you could fail a thousand times, a million times. The Bible says the righteous fall, but you have to have the desire for God to change you and do what El Shaddai can do. He's more than enough. He's more than the, whatever you think. Oh, that could never be fixed. Never did. He can do it and more. How horrible of a Christian would I be to, to, to encourage or, or, or to, to celebrate my friend in Egypt. You're in bondage. You're in slavery. Now, you might be in the wilderness for 40 years, but for heaven's sakes, get out of Egypt. The wilderness is better than Egypt. But listen, once you go through the wilderness, it may take from 1983 to 2020, but it's worth getting in the promised land. It's worth it. And you need people to walk with you. You do. You do. And I'm that. Listen, I thought I'd walk with you. Here's what he was saying was when he said, I know he was saying this. I know in my head. I just don't believe it in my heart. I know what you're saying is true. I know it's in the Bible. I know God can help and heal and carry and save. I know God can do these things. But. Um, I want to close with a poem. And for some of you that, you know, the, 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 the last thing. The last thing I know in your mind is for some of y'all's Rolex, you know, y'all think I just want to stop having this cough I've been having for 20 years. You know, I'll tell you real quick. There's this little frog that lived in the bottom of a well with its family. You know, it, it didn't have enough water for the family. It would dry out. Sometimes a little bit of rain would come. It was just horrible life. But one day the frog looked up and he saw some light at the top of the well. And he thought, I wonder what's up there. And so he left his family and he very slowly crawled up the side of the well, very cautiously peered over the edge. And lo and behold, he saw a pond. 
He thought, I can't believe this. This is enough water for me and my whole family for the rest of our life. He hopped a little bit further and he came to a lake a thousand times bigger than we could imagine. Hopped a little bit further, he came to the ocean. Everywhere he looked, there was water. It was so much. All he had was the, a drop in a bucket compared to what God had available. But he was willing to leave everybody and everything he knew to step out in faith. Not knowing what the result was going to be. Sometimes to act like El Shaddai can do what El Shaddai can do. We got to step out in faith and put God first. Even when we're afraid, even when we have no idea, even when our feelings don't line up with what we know we should do. Um, Annie Flynn Johnson, and I'm, I'm close to Annie Johnson Flint was her name. Uh, this is maybe a hundred years ago or so. She uh, was born blind. She was orphaned. In other words, she had no parents. Um, she had cancer all throughout her body. And she was, um, had such um, arthritis that her whole body was in like a fetal position for the last several years of her life. While she's in that state, blind, cancer, arthritis, she wrote this poem. Okay, and I want you to, I want you to hear these words. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To my added afflictions, he adds his mercy. To my multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day's only half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving, it's just begun. Fear not that your need will exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. So lean hard on the arm everlasting availing because the father both you and your load will upbear his love has no limits his grace has no measure his power has no boundary known unto men for out of his infinite riches in jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth Again, Ephesians 1.19, I want you to know the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power for those of us who believe. I'm asking you today, be a believer. Acknowledge God is more than enough. Ask for more than enough. And act like God can do more than enough. Amen.